0: The start on demand. On demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for the start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNab. And today we are going to discuss the situation at Stella's. On Thursday afternoon, that Instagram account popped up. Not my Stella's. Since then, last check this morning, eleven point seven thousand followers on instagram all the allegations about harassment and misconduct and much more so we'll discuss that and if this kind of thing makes us change our behaviors our spending habits when it comes to restaurants or shops whatever the case is wherever you spend your money we're also going to talk about stan lee the legend of the comic book world, has died at the age of 95. So we'll look back on his legacy and we'll get some insight from a local comic shop owner, a man who got to meet Stan Lee more than once. Is any election in the United States complete without a recount in Florida? That's what's happening right now. We'll check in with Global's Reggie Cicchini to get the latest on that. We're also going to check in with the RCMP on texting while you're sitting in a drive through A lot of people fired up about that. Calgary going to the polls today for its own plebiscite, fresh off of our Portage and Main plebiscite. Calgary voting on whether or not they support a bid for the 2026 Olympic Games. and boy, this uh, Stella's thing. I caught wind of this early, I guess it was Friday morning. Wow. We talked about the California wildfires. Don't want to make light of that, but I don't know that I've ever seen a story spread like wildfire mm-hmm. like that here in Winnipeg.
1: No, and it all started with just a post on Instagram, and one of the women who posted it, it was a former employee, and she said Friday what she did was um, an, an alert came up on her Facebook page just advising her that it had been one year since she left Stella's, and that got, prompted a post from her just talking about how she felt about having worked there. And the next thing you know, she said she had this flood of posts on this Instagram account called hashtag not my Stella's. And so what happened on Monday, following all these people making these allegations of a toxic workplace environment? Well, yesterday, the popular Winnipeg restaurant chain announced that it had placed two of its managers on indefinite leave, which just follows those allegations of a toxic workplace environment and accusations of sexual harassment. Stella's has six restaurants. Throughout Winnipeg, it's extraordinarily popular and Stella's decided yesterday that it needed to take action. Here's Global's Brittany Greenslide.
2: Stella's has been under fire on social media, facing dozens of accusations. Today, it's taking one of its first steps towards what the owners are calling a commitment to restoring trust and confidence of not only staff, but customers. Stella's released this statement and message to its staff addressing the complaints and outlining some immediate action, including removing CEO Grant Anderson and regional manager Brad Burroughs, who will both take indefinite leaves of absence from Stella's, while an external HR company investigates the social media claims. Now, as you first saw here on Global News, an Instagram account surfaced last Thursday under the name Not My Stella's. Overnight, more than 150 anonymous complaints had been posted where people identifying as former and current employees alleged everything from sexual harassment to working without breaks and racism. Now Stella's Sherbrooke Street location closed at 3 p.m. today and will be closed again tomorrow for staff meetings. The other locations are remaining open.
1: That was Global's Brittany Greenslade. So, the Sherbrooke Street closed Monday and will stay closed until tomorrow morning, is our understanding. And again, that Instagram account that was called Not My Stella's, I think as of yesterday, had 222 posts alleging that the chain ignored harassment, sexual harassment, labor laws, and contributed to unsafe working conditions. Uh, again, Stella's responding to that by putting two of its top managers on indefinite leave. Former employees did speak out to Global News on Friday. They also held a news conference, and while they were actually pushing for more, they want these managers to be fired. They also said that they didn't want Winnipeggers to boycott Stellas. Here's Kelsey Wade. We are not calling for a boycott of the company. We are asking for a forward-moving dialogue on the issues that we have presented. Please be mindful that current frontline employees cannot talk about this without the fear of losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a big one, I think, because also... And myself included, uh, you know, when I left Winnipeg in 2005, I'm throwing out a date here. Stella's was a top restaurant. You'd go there all the time. It had just the one store, and then you moved back, and then I think it had four or five, and now Brett, it's seven, actually. I counted it wrong. It's not six, seven restaurants. So it's such a popular place. And also as a source of pride, I think, is a source of pride for many Winnipeggers because it um, has, has done such a great expansion of a local chain. And so it's hitting people on both sides. I think, hard people who have made these allegations, but also people who genuinely like to eat there and like supporting a local business.
0: Yeah, I had to take my uh, girlfriend to the airport Saturday morning at... Sunday morning at 3 o'clock, and she had suggested that we go to Stella's for breakfast. We didn't end up doing it because just time, We you know, (laughs) 3 o'clock in the morning, I wasn't exactly uh, in the mood to go sit down and have breakfast, but I was genuinely curious to go in there and just see what the mood is and to see if... Like, I'm curious to see if people are going in there and and yelling at the staff. We certainly hope that's not the case. Well, we've
3: heard reports that they are getting phone calls and that there are things going on uh, like that. So I'm interested to get everybody together and see, and I'd like to hear from you on text as well. Have you changed your view on the organization? Uh, We heard from Kelsey Wade just a moment ago, former employee. She's saying, look, we're not calling for a boycott, but... Is it changing your purchase decision? Where you're spending your money? Are you going, oh, let's meet at Stella's? No, I'm not going to do that. We also receive
1: emails from people saying, "Hang on, like this has been a really good company, right, for X number of years, and and these allegations are allegations, right? And we have to work through a process of these allegations, and so there's also those who are saying, no, like I'm a loyal customer and I like this restaurant." And they're they're getting a bad name before we've proven anything. But but there you have it. In this age of social media and all the rest, that it the the allegations have spread. 222 posts on the Instagram account, thousands of followers, people sharing stories of their own of not just there but other places they've worked. Where they say that this is, you know,
3: there's issues in all sorts of places. Yeah, but that's the balance of social media, right? Never before have consumers been more empowered in terms of the knowledge that they may have about the culture of uh, whether it be a auto manufacturer or a restaurant that they that they choose to support about what the culture is behind the scenes, about the pricing, about all sorts of things that were secret about the business world in the past, and based on what we've seen in terms of the allegations, many of these people have come forward or did purportedly come forward and ask for help or suggest that these things were going on were and were met with, with either reduced shifts, threats of having their shifts eliminated or their jobs eliminated altogether. So there have been all sorts of allegations for a long time, it sounds as though... Those allegations weren't taken necessarily very seriously. So this is the empowerment that we wouldn't otherwise see coming from social media for people to get together and say, this isn't just one person. You're talking over 150 posts about people who are saying, this is what happened to me.
1: And now Stella's saying in that email yesterday to staff and media that they've hired a consultant group to investigate those complaints. They'll provide an enhanced, respectful workplace training and policy rollout to all staff and management. And they've also asked all Stella staff and managers to direct complaints and concerns through a new confidential process outlined in a letter to them, or through a, a process. I'm not sure if it's new, but just to explain, here's how you can do it going forward. So they're taking it seriously, too. But
3: at that, the, what we're hearing yesterday, stark contrast to what they were saying Friday. Things changed dramatically. The pendulum swung dramatically from Friday to Monday in terms of how they reacted to the media, in terms of how they suggested they were going to handle this. And it was kind of the first reaction was, well, this is an internal thing and we're going to deal with it. They're realizing that this is potentially a much larger problem. Them for them overall.
0: Mackling, McGarry, McNabb on 680 CJOB. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Forte in Master Control. And We've been talking about what's happening at the popular Winnipeg restaurant chain Stella's, which has... In case you're just tuning in, put two of its managers on indefinite leave after allegations of a toxic workplace. The Instagram account, Not My Stella's, popped up, I believe, Thursday afternoon, and it already has nearly 12,000 followers and just dozens and dozens, hundreds really, of stories coming in from either current or former employees uh, alleging the various poor things they've had to deal with over the years. So now we're going to have coffee and talk about that. Does this kind of thing make you change your behavior when it comes to where you dine, where you shop, where you frequent, whatever the case may be? Greg, actually, I'd want to start with you because of your background in restaurants. Uh, I'm wondering if that gives you a different perspective on all of this.
3: Uh, It doesn't necessarily give me a different perspective. I know that the the restaurant business has... Let's put it this way, over the years has a reputation in terms of certain things going on behind the scenes. Uh, wh- I've read a lot of the allegations on that account, on that Instagram account, and I was horrified at a lot of the things that were being alleged, including no breaks and working eight hours straight without a break and uh, the different uh, sexual misconduct allegations. This is going to make me go there more because it's the frontline workers typically that pay the price when people boycott a business, and those are the people, A, that can least afford it, and they'll be the most affected if people stop going there en masse, and those are not the people that I have a beef with. I know it's kind of might be a backwards way of thinking, but I will support uh, the workers by spending my money with them, and I'll probably tip them pretty heavy too.
0: That's a good way to think about it. I like that. Jeff Braun, does... Uh what, what about you? Do you ever not go somewhere because of stuff you've read in the news?
4: Uh, uh, I can't think of anything specifically, but I'm sure it must color it to some degree or whatever. If you hear something horrible about a company, of course you're going to think twice before you give them any of your money again. But uh, the good news is it sounds like Stella's is trying to do right by its customers and its staff at this point. So hopefully that's well, a lot of places that – are sort of like nervous about things right now, might just do that before anything, like another Instagram account pops up.
1: I was thinking a lot about, you know, um, when allegations get made against different companies, like big companies, the clothing manufacturers, and say clothes are made in the in a country where they support or don't have real child labor laws and all the rest. And and I have read, you know, Naomi Klein's book. I think it was called No Logo, uh, just outlining all the things that you should be horrified about. And there was a brief period where then I stopped shopping at certain stores and then kind of forgot about it. And then just noticed the other day, like the number of clothes that I have or my children have that might be made in Bangladesh. And you stop or, or, or you know, Sri Lanka or whatever. And you're looking at all these names and like, I should double check this because like what countries are supporting these things and not. But then. You know the bottom comes down to do I really like what's on the menu? and do i just do I just want to go there for their great veggie sandwich, or do I really want to go there for the the cheap t-shirts, a three dollars t-shirt. And so like the what wins? Like your taste buds, your wallet, all the rest?
5: yeah, and I think in in uh, this particular instance, you're talking about a local uh, company. Right. So, so, therefore, you know, you can make an impact by your choice, whereas, you know, if it's a major conglomerate, I mean, we'd be a drop in the bucket, uh, you know, in terms of not buying there. But if enough people come forward, uh, you know, to, uh, to mount the cause, then I think you can uh, certainly have more than a ripple effect. I'm with you, Greg. 100% in your uh, philosophy on why penalize the frontline worker. They're, they're the people that you're trying to protect. I, I guess when I look at this, I just I just hope that uh, if if there are other situations that are similar to this that haven't come to the fore, uh, then that those uh, uh, situations get remedied awfully quick uh, before someone else has to walk the plank, so to speak. Okay. Uh, I, I always try to think of things, you know, that that can be good that come out of this. And if some have had to suffer to make it better for uh, for others and going forward, then you know what, what has happened here at Stellas will will certainly uh Uh, be a a worthwhile cause without having to boycott the business to to send a message. We know that others have lost their
3: jobs. I'm not saying suggesting at Stella's, but over the years, people have lost their jobs standing up for what they believe is right.
5: Absolutely. And so
3: if you're going to honor those folks... Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's good to be mindful, but something good can come out of this. And I think that other businesses should be paying attention and realize <laughs> no doubt. that when the onesies, twosies allegations start coming forward, take them very seriously as opposed to turning a blind eye, because I think this is what happened in this situation as they press the pause button, kick the can down the road, and before you know it, you've got far too many allegations to, to even handle, and uh, that's not a great way to do business. It makes
1: you wonder too, the conversations that are happening, and someone reads, oh, you know, eight hours without a break, and then you have all those people coming home from their shifts at different jobs, and different companies being like, oh, like you're supposed to get a... Are we supposed, <laughs> to, get this, supposed to get this break? When, how, what's this break this, thing, you're, this break talking thing you're talking about? Right? Like everybody's business, it's when you talk sit around circles and talk about the rules that everybody has in their own workplace where they have morning, you know, a coffee break in the morning and a coffee break in the afternoon and a paid lunch versus the other person who oh. might not have any of those things. And so those are just good conversations to have in general, make you realize like, oh, is, is my company at all doing the right thing?
0: I always wonder, too, when you go to restaurants, when you hear about some of the things that happen, like makes me scratch my head that they think that it's OK to get away with this. I won't name the restaurant, but there is a restaurant in Winnipeg, which is well known for the attire the servers where and uh their staff there are always super friendly and they chat with you and then one of them just happened to mention offhand she said she was hungry and we were saying well you should get something to eat well I don't really feel like having salad and we only get staff discount on salad if I want to order a burger I got to pay full price for that and I thought are you kidding me what are yeah. they
1: suggesting with that
0: yeah, yeah they, 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 they want their servers to stay in shape so, like I said, I'm not going to name the restaurant, but uh, that made my blood boil. I wanted to Brett smash all the tables in that particular I'm lounge. Stunned. Have you
5: been back since?
0: Yeah, I've been back because yeah. the staff there are friendly. You know, yeah. the food's yeah. good. The staff no, are no, friendly. No, no, I was just wondering. No, yeah, no, yeah. yeah it, but it, I was angry, uh, and I'm sure I don't know if that's a local policy or at a national policy on Holy that. Holy man! And then you go to other places, and I, it's I think this culture has changed for the most part. But I remember there's uh, one lounge chain in Winnipeg where their servers in the lounge always wore super short black mini skirts, mm-hmm. which were very form fitting. And one poor server, she dropped something and she couldn't even bend over to pick it up because her outfit would have revealed more than she would have liked. And uh, you could tell that she's in her like almost stiletto heels. And I thought this that can't be comfortable to work. in.
1: I know. And then we all sit here, not all of us, but some of us, you know, we're outraged over something or I am now personally outraged hearing some of these stories. Then I think I bet you I've been there. And I don't know if that would stop me from going back. Like, what is the thing that would make you say, okay, like I hate I, I will no longer pay for that. Because I don't support that anymore. Like, where's the line?
3: We've got two text messages here referencing Gordon Ramsay. I'll read one. Toxic TV role models like Gordon Ramsay have inspired many young chefs and aspiring cafe owners in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Yelling and berating workers is all part of the mystique of greatness in the food trade in some minds. Uh, I, I tend to agree with that. That there is a sense that that's the way you do it. That's how you get the results that you want in the restaurant business. I worked with one guy. You were horrified to make a mistake and ask him to correct something that you had done wrong. And let me tell you, that effect that there was a cascading ramification in terms of the quality (laughs) Hmm. of food and service that the customers got because the serving staff was afraid to deal with the head chef. Not good. We start
0: this hour with Stan Lee. The man who helped create some of the most famous superheroes has died. Stan Lee is gone, but he leaves behind a legacy of characters who will
6: live forever. Mike LeCouture looks back at Lee's life.
7: Make me come down there,
6: you pun- He was almost as famous as the heroes he created. Almost. I should be on that list. Name? Stan Lee. Yeah, uh, nice try,
7: buddy. Nice no, no, really.
6: Comic book legend Stan Lee had an uncanny ability to make himself and his characters human, even though they were anything but. Born in Manhattan as Stanley Martin Lieber, he often used his hometown as the real-life backdrop for his fictional stories. Society made mutants outcasts, but Lee made them cool. Spider-Man, Black Panther, Thor, Iron Man, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. All of his co-creations brought to life in the pages of Marvel Comics, and then on the big screen.
0: Stan found a way to make a superhero that is on one hand fantastic, on the other hand is totally human.
6: Lee started at Marvel Comics' predecessor, Timely Comics. His first work was a two-page story called The Traitor's Revenge. It would be the first of thousands. For many, comic books are an escape, but Lee always kept them grounded in reality, pushing to address real-life issues like discrimination, drugs, and intolerance. Now,
8: equally as popular as Peter Parker, I'd say, is Miles Morales, because he's a non-white Spider-Man, and that's awesome. That's great for people and for inclusivity in comics.
4: Excelsior!
6: Lee's trademark motto meant Onwards and Upwards and became his signature sign-off. Another signature, the dozens of cameo appearances he made in Marvel movies, often as himself. The Great Heft. That self-deprecating humour woven into every one of his stories, but so too was an important life lesson. You know, I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. Stan Lee was 95.
0: Meanwhile, 680 CJOB's Dan Vatabonker. you heard his voice in Global News at 7 o'clock with Jeff Braun. He reached out to an award-winning comic book writer and illustrator from Winnipeg, GMB Kamichuk.
4: Uh, you know, my favourite thing, I think, about Stan Lee as a kid was his, uh, I mean, there's a lot of creations for sure, but for his use of vocabulary. I can remember, you know, the young writer in me Having to look up Excelsior for the first time <laughs> and just realizing that it just meant, you know, ever upward was such a, I think, uh, telling motto for his entire generation of superhero creating. And that, and, you know, he had this mythology of possibility. You know, Spider Man turns the death of Uncle Ben into a reason to help people, uh, Daredevil turns a conflict within, you know, it becomes a calling. Uh, Iron Man turns a terrible injury into a catalyst for discovery. You know, like, it was just one of these things when you're a young person that no matter how often you get knocked down, you should definitely do your best to get back up.
0: Kamichuk also says back when Stan Lee was first starting his empire, no one knew how big comics would become.
4: They were just racing to try and get their next rent check, and so trying to make work as fast and as fun as possible. And I think it was a testament to the fact that a lot of him and his creators creative partners just really wanted to make people feel excited and make people feel positive and lift them out of the doldrums. You know he was quoted as saying many times that uh, he was felt a little bad when people would introduce themselves as engineers or doctors, and he would think you know maybe it was less of a profession to work in entertainment, but as he grew older, he realized entertainment was the way that we lifted ourselves, however temporarily out of are uh, the doldrums of our everyday lives, and isn't that worth something?
0: GMB Kamichuk, he is a Winnipeg award-winning comic book writer and illustrator. His work has appeared in film, TV, books, comics. His books include The Imagination Manifesto and Midnight City and more. Now the red McNabb. We're going to Florida.
1: Yeah, and I think you said it right before the break, Brett. What would an American election be without a recount, particularly a recount in the state of Florida? Joining us on the phone to kind of explain how this is working is Global's Washington reporter Reggie cicchini Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So we have another recount underway as we speak in Florida.
8: We do. There are a couple of things that are happening right now. There's a deadline that's in place for Thursday uh, for all of the recounts to take place. So there's kind of a a frantic effort to try and get all these ballots count right now because uh, there's still a super close race when it comes to the Senate and a really close race when it comes to uh, to the governor race there. But it's the Senate one that people are closely looking at right now because that's the one that has the real potential to flip. Does
3: it have potential to flip, Reggie? I've been doing some homework on this. And in terms of the number of votes involved here, there's never been a race... Uh, on a recount that have overturned and changed as many votes that are separating the two candidates right now.
8: Well, it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the Democratic Party, they'll say, look, there are up to 20,000 ballots right now that still need to be counted, that were mail-in ballots that are from kind of minority communities and younger people across the state. And the Democrats are going to do their best to try and push to get either the Thursday deadline pushed further or to get those uh, ballots count. The Republicans, on the other hand, they're filing suit right now to basically say, look, the election results from last week should stand. Everything that kind of came to a close on Saturday should stand and we shouldn't move any forward with this. But there's a really tight margin of, 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 uh, of, of difference between... Uh, uh, the, the senators uh, who are running for this race right now, it's kind of in that less than 0.4% right now. So that's what everybody's kind of looking at. It's the governorship race where it's still within that like 0. 0.4, 0.5% race right now. Uh, and and most people are looking at this saying, look, when it comes to the governorship, it's likely going to you know go to a Republican. It's going to stay in the Republican hands. That's where people are looking at when it comes to that Republican race.
3: But the Republicans are also saying they must be counted by the deadline on Thursday. And it seems like such an odd stand from a a, a political party in the United States of
8: America. It really rubs me the wrong way. Well, I mean, this is Florida law. Like, Thursday is the deadline that they say that these have to get counted by. So that's why Republicans are saying, look, we might as well just leave this as is. There's election uh, you know, workers. There are people saying, look, this this deadline of Thursday to get all of these millions and millions of ballots recount is likely not going to happen. Machines could fray. They're already finding some issues when it comes to ballots making its way through the machines that they're not able to read. So there's there's that's why I said there's a flurry of activity trying to get these ballots counted and cast. Uh, but the problem is, is that both sides are still going to argue, look, we either need more time or it needs to stop
1: 8.5 million votes i think they're recounting it's a huge number to try to get through and you know whenever i hear stories like this coming out of the united states because it seems to be the home of recounts and florida i wonder what that does to sort of the voter attitude and their trust of the entire system if this is what they have to keep coming back to time and time again
8: well, I mean, the Republicans aren't helping that argument right now because they're the ones saying that, look, two, the biggest counties in Florida right now continuously have these problems. Each time we have an election, they're always misplacing ballots or they seem to be finding new ballots. So that kind of plays into some of that rhetoric that's going on in some voters' minds right now. The Democrats are saying, look, the last time we had an election here, there were five and a half million people. Florida now has eight and a half million people that are trying to cast a ballot. So it just puts more strain on the system. And the system itself is still uh, you know, in the process of trying to evolve. The ballots are still difficult to read. There's Uh, questions and concerns about how the ballots were laid out and to why there may have been undervotes and overvotes with people not paying attention to how they were ticking off a box. So this is kind of a big circle that people are trying to go through saying, look, the ballots need to be figured out. We need to get a better election system going in place. And we need to understand that there are more people in Florida than there ever were before casting a ballot.
0: Reggie Giacchini joining us live on 680 CJOB. Reggie, thanks for the time as always. Thank you. Global Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini.
8: How much confidence can you
3: have in the results that came out in less than 24 hours if they are incapable of recounting the ballots in three or four days? It's mind-boggling. And
1: then to file, I mean, who wants to win through a lawsuit? And then it's really more about a PR battle. Whoever sort of wins the war of words, I think, wins at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, like your faith in that system must be hard. (laughs)
0: Now we want to start with getting some answers for your questions, Loren, on texting and driving. Yeah, and this
1: all stems from a global news story on the question, can you use your cell phone in a drive through And the answer appears to have surprised many of you. And so we wanted to bring on Corporal Julie Courshane with the RCMP to tell us a bit more about how these rules work, because we've been talking about texting and driving for a, well over a decade, but we have new penalties in effect and so new concerns from people about what they can and cannot do and joining us on the phone now is corporal Courget, And good morning good morning okay so let's just start with the drive through question it, can i use my cell phone in a drive through okay so anytime
9: you're moving in your vehicle on a roadway no you cannot use your cell phone
1: so so a drive through
9: uh, is a roadway just to be clear yeah you're moving your like cuz parking lots and all that fall
1: under the the highway traffic act so if I'm sitting in a parking lot and using my phone in a, par- in a stall, does that count as texting? No,
9: if you're parked, you're, you're not on the, on any type of roadway at all, then you're fine, right? The, what happens is you have to pull off to the side of the road or off the roadway uh, and make sure that your vehicle is stationary.
0: So what about then, uh, Corporal, one of the things people are asking about is a lot of drive-thrus, you can use an app, on your phone. So if I pull up to the window and pull my phone out, am I going to get a ticket for that?
9: Well, the way I look at it is if you pull up, you're, you're now in park at the window and you're going to use your app. Sure. I mean, I don't see a, a problem doing that because um, you're in park, you're stopped, you're just using that. I don't, I don't think we're going to be, you know, around um, these drive throughs and these places looking for this kind of thing.
0: But what if I'm in the drive through and I'm not at the window, there's a car in front of me and I'm in park? What's the difference there if I'm using my phone?
9: Well, if you're going to be moving forward, um, you know, we just want everyone to be safe, basically, right? These are what this new distractive driving legislation is for. We know that um, distracted driving is huge in a and a lot of, um, you know, it's caused a lot of collisions and fatalities and stuff like that. So the whole reasoning behind all all these new laws is to deter people from using their cell phone at all, right? We know that anytime you pick it up, you're going to be distracted.
1: We're talking with Corporal Cushain with the RCMP just about the distracted driving legislation and penalties that are in effect as of November 1st. And I, I don't think anyone wants to dispute the idea that it's dangerous to be pulling your phone out behind the wheel. And I don't, we certainly don't want to be sending the message that there's there is outrage over this. I think there's questions, though, about how this, what applies. And so is it new? Is this is this not being able to use a cell phone while in the drive through or well, part, while waiting for a train, is that new or is that just something we're enforcing now more?
9: No, it's not new. It's just, um, you know, basically it's enforcing this, um, the laws, right? And that's what we do as police officers. We have to enforce what's already there. And so, yeah, like if you are, you know, trying to break down the law to say what you can do and what you can't do, um, you know, technically, yeah, there's, specific things. You do have to be pulled off onto the side of the road. If you're at a train, um, you're still on the roadway. So no. And what happens if, you know, traffic starts moving and you're looking down at your phone, right? You're distracted, so there are certain rules in place to, you know, ensure everyone's safety.
3: I think people are, are looking for extra qualification uh, because of what's on the line now versus a monetary fine and some points on your license. This whole idea of losing your, your vehicle for three days, there's a lot more on the line for individuals that get caught doing this. And I think that's where people really want to be sure about what's going on and, that has people asking these questions for very specific reasons and very b- specific situations where they may be putting themselves in jeopardy
9: okay i understand that and what i want to um get across is that anytime you're using your your cell phone in your vehicle it's it's going to be dangerous right um it could lead to something we want people to basically like create new habits, break your old habits. Do you need your phone while you're, you're in your vehicle? You know, no, put it away somewhere. Um, you know, that's what we want to get across that, that we've gotten to this um, era where, you know, we're so used to technology and using our, our, cell phones all the time. Well, no, you know, we've seen what, what it can happen, right? We've seen that, you know, major collisions and um, you know, with fatalities and stuff like that, a lot of it has been distracted driving so our main thing is, you know what, we don't need this. You don't need your cell phone, you know, put it away, put it in the trunk, put it out of reach, um, you know, so don't even make it about, you know, when, you know, oh, at this time, can I use my cell phone? Or, you know, if I'm here, just just try and get in the habit of not using it while you're in your vehicle.
0: Corporal Julie Courshain, we only have about a minute left, so I just have a couple of quick bullet point questions uh, from our listeners. One of them is, if I'm sitting, if I'm parked, sitting, waiting for a train, can I use my phone, yes or No. No. If
9: you're on the roadway, you can't.
0: If I pull over, if I'm on a uh, road and I pull over and put my car in park to respond to a call or a text message, can I do that?
1: Yes. And one of the questions is, does it make a difference if the car is on or off? Like, is it about the keys being in the ignition or it's it's specifically about the definition of roadway?
9: Um, Yeah, it's not about um, keys in the ignition. It's just the vehicle has to be stationary. So you have to be in park and you do have to be off the roadway.
0: Okay. And then and just to, to to revisit the drive through thing one more time. So if you're in a drive through, you can't be using your phone unless it's at the window to uh pay for your to use the app or you pay for your order or whatever the case is. Yes. Okay. RCMP Corporal Julie Courshain, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time and access.
9: All
0: right, thank you. Eight thirteen on six eighty CJOB. Any quick final thoughts before well, we wrap up? Just someone just texted
1: now. I was in a drive-through once where I got hit from behind by someone on a cell phone, and it is a scenario that has happened to people. I've actually heard that one several times before.
3: I heard stories about maybe people getting tickets at a train on Friday, and once again, third you know third-hand information. And my immediate response is, if that's the course of action they're going to take, regardless. You are going to have some people who are very much in favor of this law being enforced. You're going to anger them. And I don't think that that's the way you want to go. But I
1: think she's saying, from a official's perspective, from the RCMP's thought, just enough is enough. Like, you don't need it in the drive thru. You don't it. need I it. Agree. So just
3: stop using it. I'm like, just is, suggesting, in terms of getting people to buy in on this, that's not the way to go.
0: Right now, we start in Calgary, where it's Olympic Voting Day. Residents are casting ballots in a plebiscite that asks them, are you for or are you against hosting the 2026 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games? The result of the vote is non-binding on City Council, which will have the final say on whether or not to go ahead with the bid. So we reached out to our Calgary affiliate, Global News Radio 770 CHQR, to chat with the hosts of The Morning
7: News, Gord Gillies and Sue Dial. So, Gordon, Sue... Do you think you'll get a good turnout? That's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, they want a good turnout one way or another, just so we can say, you know, yeah, 50% of the people showed up yeah. and this is the this is the vote. But plebiscites often don't. This, yeah. this one's quite contentious. I think there'll be a pretty good turnout because it, it is contentious.
3: Are there any polling numbers? Have you got a feeling the way it's going to go? Is there a sense of that?
7: We had a small poll that came out yesterday that had 48% no, Mm. 40% yes, 11% undecided. Uh, others uh, say they've heard polls that it's neck and neck. Mm-hmm. If I had five bucks to bet, I'd bet <laughs> no. But uh,
10: I'm betting on yes, so we've yeah. got a $5 bet apparently going <laughs> on now.
3: <laughs> it's official right here on <laughs> Winnipeg Radio. You heard it. You heard it, folks. Well, I uh, voted yes. I already voted yes, but I bet no. <laughs> What's the deal with this being non-binding? I guess is it is it the sense that it's too big of a question for the public to decide? How are they rationalizing the decision to to take the temperature of the public at considerable cost and then not to necessarily live by the the vote
7: that's a bit of a misnomer too because it's non-binding binding binding for city council but the levels of government that are kicking in money like the province 700 million if it's a no vote the money's gone so it's binding if it's a no vote there'll be no funding from the province the deal is dead so uh but you know, council. If it was forty-nine point nine percent no, might say we're going ahead mm-hmm. and let the chips fall where they may.
0: So I'm just looking at some of the uh, the arguments against from the the no side. Uh, they're saying that a no vote is believing in Calgary and its future. Uh, can you explain that to me?
10: A no vote is believing in Calgary and its future.
0: Yeah, Cal- it says Calgary 2026's rationale is the Olympics is all we've got. And short-term jobs are better than nothing. So voting no says we believe in Calgary and its future.
10: Well I guess they're saying we don't need the Olympics to be a great city but I think that a lot I I voted yes so I can only take it from the yes side and and my perspective is that we need a little kick in the pants we need a little boost to get us moving again we've had a, a big hit with the economy and uh, I think the Olympics is is the thing that can help spur that and we're hearing that from a lot of business leaders as well that they want that they want they want Calgary to be known on the world stage once again Not just as an Olympic city, but as a great city for people to come and do business
3: in. Well, Mary Moran, the Calgary 2026 CEO, didn't make a lot of friends in this city when she suggested without the 1988 Olympics, Calgary would be Winnipeg.
7: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that uh, that didn't go over well even here. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of those rival, ho, 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 you know, you take a shot at Edmonton. Well, Winnipeg, we love you guys. We'll poke at Edmonton anytime we get. But that was one of those uh, clunkers I think that she would like to take back. Uh, that uh, didn't resonate big here uh, as well.
1: You know, I have some family and friends who live in Calgary and they talk often about this vote in the last few days about how we need to pay attention to it because it costs so much money. And and one of them said to me, you know, like we have a a high vacancy rate and we have um, serious economic problems in Calgary and there's job issues and all the rest. But you know what? I'm probably going to vote yes anyway because they like the idea of it. How much is that sentiment? Are you hearing that it's like the idea of having the Olympics still has that luster that may help push this over the edge?
7: Well, I think most Calgarians are proud to be part of an Olympic city. I'm old, so I worked the Olympics, <laughs> and it was fun and a blast. And it's part of our DNA. It's part of our personality. So I think on you know on the whole, everybody would love to have the Olympics come here. But to your point, for your relative's point, I mean, downtown office space is at a 27% vacancy rate. There are empty, big buildings there. A lot of people who are making a lot of money in the heyday of the oil times are out of work now and struggling. And then there's the trickle-down to the restaurant restaurants and to the golf courses and everybody else. When you don't have the money to spend on those things, everybody's suffering. So the critics say this is not where we should be investing our billions of dollars to try and spur things. There's other ways of doing it. Love the Olympics. Love the idea. Not right now.
10: But they keep saying there are the, you know, let's do other things to spur the downtown growth. But there are no other plans. So why not use the Olympics as that plan and get things moving again? It's just that I'm younger than Gord. See, he said he's old and I'm, I'm younger than him. So And I wasn't here in 88. And I would love to be in a city where the Olympics are happening because it has people excited already. And we don't even have the bid yet.
3: Okay. So at least half of this money is coming from the federal government, should this go ahead, correct? Yep. So I've been floating this idea since 2016, since Brazil, when those Olympics were really a disaster for one metropolitan area. I know you've already talked about the idea of having some of the hockey up in Edmonton, potentially maybe bobsleigh and ski jump out in Whistler. Why not have curling in Winnipeg? Why not do this? (laughs) No, I'm not dead serious. Why not a legitimate Western Canadian bid? You don't, you aren't getting a a new 15,000 seat arena. Curling is one of the most popular events at the Olympics now, we'd be happy to host the curling events here in the heart of curling on behalf of the Olympic Games. I don't know why we're not thinking outside the box like this.
7: Well, that's a very passionate plea, but I'll tell you this. If hockey's in Edmonton, my vote's just gone to yeah. no. There's no way. People, you know, that's th- the thing. Th- this is the pitch. It's affordable this time because we won't have to spend any money on the jumps. We can use Whistler. There was talk of Edmonton for a while. That's gone mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much 85% of the events will happen here in Calgary or Canmore using the facilities built in 88. The ski jumps and the uh, the jumping combined ones will be at Whistler. Whistler. But if you started spreading it around like that, I think Calgarians would say, forget it, we're out. We want to have an Olympics and, and not spread it around too thin. There's already people saying we don't like the fact it's going to Whistler. Uh, so I don't know if that would fly here or not.
1: I just want to ask quickly about the idea of a referendum overall. You may or may not be – or plebiscite, rather. You may or may not be familiar with the idea that Winnipeg just two weeks ago had its own plebiscite on reopening uh, Port-au-Germain to pedestrians. And a lot of people mm. said, like, why are we putting this – you know, we we elect politicians – to make these decisions for us, why are the people getting a say? Are are Calgarians overall happy that they have this vote or would they rather just leave this to the mayors and to the premiers and blame them later if it doesn't work?
10: (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. You know, I think that I think it's nice for change for the people to have their say and I think it's important too and I think it's also a good way for the politicians to make sure that they're not on the hook for this one. But really, it's a democratic society, right? So we have the opportunity, we have the ability and the right to vote. Why not let the people decide and then we can go forward or we don't
7: and we hardly ever have them here so this is the first time we've had one of these in a long time and it's a big issue and a lot of people are motivated to vote one way or another so i think for the most part people are saying yeah give us a say Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of people don't trust the politicians to make the decision Uh, again if it's close or whatever but uh, i think people on on uh, overall are pretty pleased they get to say
0: all right gordon sue thank you so much for
7: this welcome guys Hey, Thank you're you. welcome, you guys. And we Take love of- Winnipeg. Yeah, <laughs> no,
10: but you can't have our, you
1: can't have our curling. Back off.
7: We're taking
3: it. We're taking it from
7: you. And he's very
1: serious. I think this is the sixth time I've heard this pitch. <laughs> it's not happening.
0: Gord Gillies and Sue Dial from Global News Radio 770 CHQR in Calgary on the Olympic plebiscite happening today.
7: The start on demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.